Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we learn that you guys hate Space Jam, and we also dissect the top five moments of the 2019-2020 season for the Charlotte Hornets and this. Yeah, close. Yeah, uh, I was going to see how high you could get there. I agree. Jamie, you are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. I just thought everybody liked Space Jam, but if these times in the pandemic have taught me anything, it's that Space Jam not nearly as popular as I thought it was. We're living in the now, baby. You're living in the past. Rick Bennell tried to tell us Space Jam was not going to win, and boy, did it not win. Rick Bennell mad at us for putting Space Jam not only into the bracket, but as a one seed, (laughs) not only, by the way, not only as a one seed, but the third overall seed, if we got our committee together. Doug and I being the sole participants of that committee Mm -hmm. choosing, by the way, both of us agreeing. I chose space jam to be the third overall seed. And Doug's like, yeah, sounds good. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on now with it. I don't think so. I think you are a liar. You are lying right now to the listeners. I I want you to go back to that episode and listen to it. Please do. I'm not lying. I'm not. I I did agree that it belonged in the bracket. I will not agree that I agreed that it belonged as a number one seed. Oh, as the results come in, you change your mind. Look at you. This is typical, Doug. Whatever happens for you to be right, that's the way you're going to go. That's the way you're going to steal your vehicle. It's fine. Okay. Space Jam. You're wrong. You're you're absolutely wrong in that. You. Chose the number one seed for Space Jam as well. well I we didn't choose it. You chose that one. That was your I choice. chose it and you agreed. You were like, yes, yeah, Space Jam one mm. seed. You were happy about that. You need to go listen. This is what you do. I'm, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole as far as trying to figure out all of the different times that you've changed your mind just so you can be right. This is one of those times that you throw into the rabbit hole. We will go over the region three winners and then preview some of the matchups in region four. Let's just go ahead and go over it. As I mentioned, as I opened up the show with. Uh, Kimba's 60-point performance destroyed Space Jam. 68% of the vote voted for Kimba's 60-point performance over Philadelphia despite the loss. And Space Jam comes in with 32% of the vote. So Space Jam, the one seed. Kimba, the four seed. Kimba advances to the next round. And then the other matchup, it was the Bobcats 2010 playoff berth, the first one in Charlotte Bobcat history. It actually beats the Alonzo morning trade for Glenn Rice, that was a 3-2 matchup. And the three seed in the Bobcat playoff berth beat the Zoe trade for Glenn Rice, the two seed. 52%, though, close one. 52% votes for the Bobcats playoff berth uh, to the 48% that voted for the Alonzo morning trade. I did not think that Space Jam would get beat down like this. I did think that Space Jam, it's just such a fluky way in how you think about how how should that be included in Charlotte Hornets history? So I do get it a little bit. I didn't expect it to get beat like that. Um, the Bobcat 2010 playoff win, though, I, I thought that might be close. I can't tell you that I'm crazy surprised by any of these results, Doug, but the Space Jam, the lopsided victory, the way that Space Jam lost, uh, I was a little surprised about that. I felt like I made a really good argument for the Zoe trade for Rice and how important it was to Charlotte Hornets history, how rare it is to trade a superstar and get another star back, a three-time All-Star, in fact, and an All-Star game MVP, by the way, 
our Friday rewatch is going to be on the All-Star game that Glenn Rice won the MVP. So uh, stick around and check that out. Uh, But I thought I made a compelling case. Apparently not compelling enough. It loses close to a Bobcats playoff performance. I mean, that surprises me that any Bobcats... The first one. Yeah, I know, but that any right that 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 Bobcats performance in particular. I mean, we get nothing out of that playoff performance. By the way, nothing. I mean, they they disassembled the team afterwards. I, I, I don't understand how it wins, but it wins. And then in terms of Kimba's sixty over Space Jam, not incredibly surprised. You know what's interesting about sixty? I feel like forty points is a great milestone for a player, especially a young player. We saw Devontae Graham score forty against Brooklyn, and that's like a wow. He's on the scene. Whoa, that's crazy. And then 50 is a mark that I think is reserved for for players who have shown good scoring ability, but then it's like, oh, wow, they're at another level where they can score at will. But then 60 is, okay, they could score at will, but also this is a special dominant type of offensive player performance that we it's so rare. And so even though it comes in a loss, I can see why people gave it to Kemba. Doug, it's a tough show for you as you've seen two of the things that you defended <laughs> fall in this region three already. Yeah. The thing that you defended Space Jam to Rick Bennell, you defended the Zoe for Rice trade. Well, they- listen, I again, I thought Space Jam deserved to be in the tournament. I don't know about it being a number one seed. I think we should get that clear and on the record. Uh, yes, right now, after the results come in, that's when we should put it on the record after the voting is already said and done with. Let's look at Region 4 after we have the Region 3 winners all done with already. Region 4, Doug, it's the two seed versus the three seed that we have first. It's the Hornets drafting the best player in franchise history. The Hornets drafting Kimba Walker. That's the two seed. It will battle the three seed and Anthony Mason and your boy, Glenn Rice, winning all NBA honors. I think this is going to be uh, a pretty good matchup. I think the Kimba Walker draft is going to win, though, because Kimba, as he beats the Bobcats, or excuse me, as he beats Space Jam very handily with the 60-point performance, uh, Kimba, having been drafted, right? Mm-hmm. Having been the guy that night, it's the second pick that they have in the first round, so yeah. I'm glad that they were able to get him. It's Bismack Biombo that goes first. I believe it's a 7-9 and nine selection for Bismack and Kimba. That's uh, correct. You want, to, you want me to give you some info here, some context around this selection? Please. Okay, so he was the number nine overall selection to the Charlotte Bobcats. Of course, Kimba attending uh, the University of Connecticut, and he won a championship with UConn. He put on a show in that tournament and really started to turn even more heads than he had already turned as a scorer. And he, But he does fall to nine. The Hornets grab him there, but you're right. The Hornets traded the Sacramento Kings for the rights to the seventh pick, which was Bismack Biombo. I, I think it's fair to say that the organization had higher hopes just in terms of a ceiling for Bismack Biombo than they did Kimba Walker, which is crazy. Yeah, you, you select him first, of course. Absolutely. And Kimba falls to number nine. Then, of course, we know how it would start off his career. Not a lot of people had a ton of faith in Kimba signs the contract for $12 million that gets criticized, and then it becomes one of, if not the best bargain in all of the NBA. Let me just say this, too. 2011 NBA draft, sneak deep draft. I mean, there are just a lot of players in this draft. Kyrie Irving, of course, goes first. You had Enos Cancer at three. Tristan Thompson at four. He's a champion. Uh, Kimball Walker at nine. You've got Clay Thompson at 11. You've got the Morris Twins at 13, 14. And then Kawhi Leonard at 15, Vucevic at 16, Amon Shumpert, Tobias Harris at 19, 
Kenneth Fareed at 22, Miritich at 23. There's a lot of names that that hung around and made impacts. That was viewed as a really weak draft. That was viewed as it's Kyrie Irving and everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that's actually one that turned out to be pretty good. I, I didn't hear a ton of star power. I guess Kimba and Kawhi Leonard would be a couple of guys that uh, would fit the star category, but man, pretty deep as the names you just listed off. There. Yeah. And, and I think it should be, we should note this draft when talking about this upcoming draft, because a lot of the same things are being said, although there isn't really a consensus number one star like Kyrie. Kyrie was consensus number one. There was no doubt that Kyrie was going number one. You don't really have that in this draft. There's some discussion about Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Wiseman. I mean, there are a couple of names there battling for one, but at the same time, I feel like there's going to be some talent out of this draft that we don't expect. And Clay Thompson as a name I forgot as well. Man, yeah, 2011. I remember that draft vividly. It was supposed to be Kyrie Irving, and man, it was going to be weak after that. And that certainly turned out not to be true. There was a couple of guys that went, as you mentioned, with Thompson and Leonard in the teens that turned out to be all-NBA level players. So Kimba Walker being drafted number nine. The Hornets actually, the Bobcats then, actually you know, getting one of the prizes within that draft. A good moment for them. That battles Anthony Mason, Glenn Rice, winning all-NBA honors. How close do you think this matchup's going to be, Doug? What do you like about Mason and Glenn Rice getting all NBA on? I think our listeners are really Kimba heavy, so I think Kimba's going to easily dispatch uh, Mason and Rice. And I think it's unfortunate if it isn't close because it's it's quite an accomplishment that Rice and Mason pulled off. Rice was second team all NBA. Mason was third team all NBA in 96-97. Uh, this is the season that the Charlotte Hornets finished 54-28. and 28. It was the most regular season wins that they that they ever accumulated uh this team was 12th on offense and 15th on defense so they were a really balanced team dave cowens at the helm you heard uh he made the top five coaches in hornets history according to rick bennell we did that a show ago it was a slow team uh but they knew uh what to do defensively and a lot of that had to do with anthony mason the interesting part about Mason and Rice is that they were number one and number two in minutes per game over the entire NBA. So That's the, a crazy stat. It is. I mean, the Hornets were so dependent on what Rice could do for them offensively, what Mason could do for them offensively, but also what Mason could do for them just in terms of their physicality and defense. This is a team that also featured Vladi Dotti, Del Curry, Muggsy Bogues, Ricky Pierce, Matt Geiger, Anthony Goldwire. Oh, so many great names. Mm. Scott Burrell, Tony Delk, Donald Royal, Malik Rose, George Zedek, Tom Chambers. Yeah, close. Yeah, uh, I was going to see how high you could get there. I agree. Jamie impressive. And I've mentioned this a million times. I'll mention another one. Glenn Rice numbers, just absolutely crazy, stupid, dumb in his time with the Hornets. And that was the season that he had 47% from three, right, Doug? I believe that's the highest one he ever shot from. Uh, yeah, 47% for the crazy. season. He was, he was first in the NBA in three-point shooting that season. And he was no slouch. I mean, look, they weren't taking them and making them at the level that they are today, but I believe it was almost four attempts. So it wasn't like he was doing it on, you know, one out of two attempts. I mean, he was he was throwing it up there. Uh, All-NBA team, by the way, first team All-NBA in 97 was Hardaway, Grant Hill, Michael Jordan, Carl wow. Malone, Hakeem Olajuwon. Second team, Patrick Ewing, Gary Payton, Scottie Pippen, Scott Pippen, Glenn Rice, Mitch Richmond. Third team All-NBA, Vin Baker, Penny, Anthony Mason, Shaquille O'Neal, John Stockton. 
what a list of names. When you said Hardaway, I was going to ask. I was like, I was going to ask if it was Tim Hardaway, but I was like, nah, that. that <laughs> yeah, I should have made that clear. I don't know why. I didn't. Well, no, I was like, that's probably Penny. I would, I would have guessed Hardaway. wrong on that. I would have guessed the wrong Hardaway. It does remind me though of when we created our NBA player wines. When I said Penny Chardonnay, I thought that was the best wine that we listed. Well, that was an OG show. That was within the first month, I think, of me hosting the show along. Now, this was Tim Hardaway in Miami. He was balling. 81 games played that season, 38.7 minutes per game. So Miami was was definitely um, uh, riding Tim Hardaway as well. This was his first All-Star appearance in several years. He made the All-Star team in 93, then took a, a couple of years off and made it again in 97. 20 points per game, 8.6 assists per game. So he was balling. All right, let's move on to the other matchup. You don't want more Tim Hardaway stats? Come on. Uh, No, I don't. The number one (laughs) seed in region four, Walker uh, becomes all-time leader in points scored for the franchise. And it's a special moment. And to me, I think when you read this, I think it, it... probably hits home a little bit more just reading the fact rather than experiencing it. You're down on this moment. Let's just, let's just, let's say you're, you're kind of beating around the bush right now. When I picked this for my selection as a number one seed, uh, just like me questioning space jam, like I always did, (laughs) you were questioning this number one pick. Yes, clearly you were questioning Space Jam, and I was clearly questioning this moment to be a one seed. Which is great, which is crazy to me, by the way, because Kemba Walker is the best player in franchise history and and was before he got this record. But at the same time, listen, 20 years from now, people are going to be looking up who the the leader in scoring is because we did it with Del Curry all the time. It was it was the stat you went to. Del Curry was off the bench, but at the same time, he held the record for most points scored as a member of the Charlotte Hornets. It was special. And, and when Kimba gets this record, it's special, and he does it in front of the home crowd, and he fought like hell to do it in front of the home crowd because he didn't want to break the record in Washington. It does come in a loss, but he had had a bad game. I mean, he could have just said, you know what? I'm having an off night. I'm not going to go for the record. I don't have it in me tonight. Sorry, folks. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to win it in front of the home crowd. It's what made Kimba special, and that's why I think this one should win. Two things. One, I didn't need validation that Kimba was the best Hornets player of all time because of this record. Two, he got it in garbage time, and I feel like the moment was deflated. Three, if the no. Del- you were you there? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I yeah, was not there. I don't think I was there. See, that's why the, the moment, trust me, I was there. The moment was special. Every, everyone, it was completely old head on me. I, and I don't, I don't understand why. I don't understand why the Hornets released a bunch of dust in the air. All of a sudden, it was a really weird choice of them out of the <laughs> vents. There was dust everywhere. And I was, I was balling like a baby. And you were discussing how that was the stat we always went to for Dell. Why didn't we put the Dell Curry moment when he became the franchise all-time leading scorer in the top 27 moments if it was so special? Because Kimba did it last. I mean, you, you, you go with the guy who set the record. <laughs> I'm just saying that Dell, we didn't have... I, I just... Not the one seed. I think it should be in the bracket. I don't think it should be a one seed. It is battling the Al Jefferson All-NBA selection and I love this moment, man. I will cape for this moment all day long. Al Jefferson being our guy here in Charlotte, making his first All-NBA appearance. And I saw somebody put a, a high... Because this is where we are right now in the coronavirus times. Somebody put out a highlight package of Al Jefferson. We are going to Uno All-NBA appearance guys right now. And uh, I saw that highlight package going out and I saw a couple Hornets fans retweet it like, yeah, man, I love Big Al. It was a great marketing campaign when they came out with Big Al's paint. That was awesome. 
Uh, I liked um, Al Jefferson being a guy that you could lean on. And it was the last kind of guy of his era, right? That was still dominating, using the low post moves. I, I just loved everything about Al Jefferson to help this team to, a, I believe, a couple of playoff appearances, right? They made they made two playoff appearances. With it him, was yeah, his first, first season and his last season, yeah. 14 and, and then they, 16, when he was, he was a bench player um, but they in that last season, but then they elevated him back to starting role in that uh, series against the Heat because mm-hmm. the Heat were... Uh, just uh, going after Kimba Walker and they had to take some pressure off. Well, and real quickly, how about Al Jefferson being heroic for us in that first playoff appearance when he had, I think it was plantar fasciitis, if I'm not That's mistaken. That's correct. And it was way too painful for him to really be the all NBA selection that he was, but gave it a go and still did some pretty nice damage against that heat team. I just love Al Jefferson's time here in Charlotte. He was awesome. And I will cape all day for this to be a moment that deserves your attention to even possibly move on to the next round. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I, I won't argue that it doesn't belong on the list. I think that Kemba getting the all-time uh, scoring record is uh, more important, and it's a better moment. It's a greater moment. It was a more emotional moment than Al Jefferson winning All-NBA. Uh, winning All-NBA, I think, validated Al Jefferson's choice to come to Charlotte and revive his career, a choice that was surprising at the time. I mean, Charlotte just did not acquire free agents. It just didn't happen. And Al Jefferson's services were going to be sought out. He, he had um, you know, picked his career back up in Utah after uh, some, gr- some great times in Minnesota, and uh, he was going to be sought after. He chose Charlotte. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. That's important. I think him choosing Charlotte might be more important than him winning All-NBA. Uh, but it was certainly a great honor for Al Jefferson. Uh, but I think that Kimba's going to win this one. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I do think uh, also it should be noted best free agent acquisition of all time for either Charlotte Hornets or Charlotte Bobcats. Can't think of another one. I think it's everybody else was acquired via trade. I think Al Jefferson is the best free agent acquisition to ever play here in this city, which is something to be said for. You have a face. It seems like you're thinking, do you have anything coming to the top of the dome right now? It seemed like you are on the fence of what you want to say. If you want to say it, uh, I will give you the floor, Doug, if you have anything to display. <laughs> Lance Stevenson. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> uh, make sure that you are supporting local during these time, Doug, uh, during these times. Tell people how they can support uh, the city of Charlotte. Uh, that's right. Queen City Beauty Group. They've been with us a long time now. They're great sponsors, but they're not only great sponsors. They've just been great to us in general, and they're proud to announce their online consultation program. This is a program that producer Katie has been a part of and loves it. Uh, here's the deal. Do you have questions about your skin? Are you using the right products for your skin type? Have you been struggling with your skin, but you don't want the hassle of going to a specialist? Well, truly great skincare is now only a few clicks away with Queen City Beauty Group's online consultation program. Nichelle Mosley, we've told you a lot about her. She's an award-winning esthetician. She will analyze and assess your photos prior to your appointment and then video chat with you on your appointment date develop a protocol for your individual skin condition, make recommendations to you for products that will help you achieve your goals, and follow up with your progress as well. Queen City Beauty Group has targeted solutions that will work on your skin regardless of condition. Queen City Beauty Group can remotely treat clients for eczema, psoriasis, melasma, hormonal acne, scarring, and many other conditions. Don't struggle with your skin anymore. Don't let a loved one struggle either. Whether you just want help with mild acne or you'd like to get assistance with a major correction, Queen City Beauty Group would love to help you. To book an online consultation with Nichelle at Queen City Beauty Group, go to www.queencitybeautygroup.com. Click online consultation. Queen City Beauty Group, skincare for all. 
It's more rank radio up next. Top five moments of this season on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. I love leftovers, by the way. Huge leftover guy. Oh man, dinner, dinner for lunch. I love that. Leftover dinner, swing it into a lunch, maybe even to a breakfast if you're feeling goosey. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is a podcast network wide mandate for us to come up with the top five moments of this season. We have been going through the bracket of the best moments in Charlotte Hornets history, but we thought it might be fun as well as a podcast network to look at the top five moments that happened this past season to still talk about current Hornets basketball, but still find a way to live in some nostalgia. We worked very hard on this. I saw Doug before we got right on the microphones. Doug was hard at work, had been going at this for hours. He has this dwindled down to a perfect T. So much research done on behalf of each of the selections that he's made. And because of that, Doug, I will allow you to go first because of all the work that you put into this. Oh, definitely. I definitely did not open up the rundown document. Remember that I had, had, I had not selected yet and then quickly made my selections. I certainly didn't do that. By the way, it's a great time to talk about kind of present Hornets basketball because we actually have some news. Uh, Rick Bennell on Twitter uh, did a conference call with James Borrego, and uh, I've got a few tweets here if you want them, some, some new, fresh information before I get to my list, which I'm definitely not adjusting right now, trying to make sure that it's correct. <laughs> on the fly, I don't picture you doing that. Um, and I don't even think you're trying to stall by giving me something else to talk about first. So sure, by all means, tell me the Borrego quotes. Okay, so here's the uh, here's the stuff from Borrego from Rick Bennell on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. James Borrego, he said they must address rim protection, but quote, in my system, we can never have enough shooting. Uh, so that uh -oh. could give some indication as to where the franchise may look uh, in the draft. Also... So yeah, go ahead. I haven't I haven't done a ton of research on the draft class yet. I mm -hmm. think we are going to be picking that up, I believe, next week, Doug, right? Yes. I need to grind. I need to get in my film room in these quarantine times. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not mistaken, isn't it a problem? Isn't shooting a problem within the first few selections, right? Like LaMelo is not the greatest shooter, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think Anthony Edwards is the greatest shooter. James Wiseman, not any type of shooter. Is it, Toppin's okay, if I'm not mistaken. I don't yeah, think Tom, no, Toppin's a good perimeter shooter. Yeah. The, so, you know, maybe there is some that I'm giving it credit for. Again, I have not done enough research, but uh, hopefully that there's enough shooting. And I, get, I don't even know who that uh, calls for, right? Like if Borrego's telling you, we can never have too much shooting in our system. I don't I don't think, oh, this guy immediately comes to mind. Rim protection, you go Wiseman because he's the big that everybody is talking about. Yeah, they're but, definitely not going to be able to, unless they get a top selection. But even then, you know, that, that rim protection shooting isn't really there, uh, that combo in one player. So there's not really a great shooting big. I mean, Obi Toppin is definitely athletic enough, uh, but doesn't really have that traditional rim protecting size. So it's going to be difficult. I mean, you know, and the, the cool thing, though, is they're not trying to win next season, so they don't have to address everything all at once. But those are clearly the two big needs, rim protection. And somebody who can rim protect and play, you know, competent offense, I think, is something they'll be looking for to replace the current center rotation that they have right now. Uh, here's something else from Borrego. He said it was clear in the last eight games before the season was interrupted that the Hornets reached a different level, said they were playing toe-to-toe -to -toe with any team. Of course, they beat Houston. They beat Miami. Those uh, could be moments. Those could be greatest moments. Top five coming up. 
I'm definitely not putting it together right now. And um, oh, that just reminded me, they did beat Miami. That's right. They put a scare into Milwaukee. Uh, they also beat Toronto. Uh, that could be another moment. Mm. Uh, finally, Brago said that the self-scouting he's done the past six weeks really reinforces that even when the Hornets play their best, they are bad in defensive rebounding. They are last in the NBA in defensive rebound percentage. So physicality, rebounding. that, re- And, you know, I think, too, Walker, wouldn't you say, like, some of that is obviously they didn't have the bodies, but isn't some of that that they're young and organization – is something that's going to come, you know, and it started, it started to at the end of the season, but the organization necessary to like rebound consistently, th- that, that's going to take some time with some of these young folks. I get a lot of big guy vibes, Doug. That's what I'm telling you from those big quotes. Guy. BGV, big guy <laughs> vibes. Okay, I'm ready for my top five. Onyeko Kongwu, I guess, is somebody I forgot to mention as well as somebody. Uh, that's that a good shooter. Well. It's got some size. Could be um, a name. Could yeah, yep. Yeah. All right. Those are a couple of the guys that could be mentioned. Yep, you've uh you've had this list done for quite a while now. Go ahead and reveal it. I know you I know you have uh had have had trouble waiting. Number five, top five moments of 2019, 2020. Here we go. Number five is definitely Hornets come back to take down the heat on the last night uh, of the regular season, as far as we know. Big win for the Charlotte Hornets over the Heat. It was a comeback victory against a tough Heat team. It's great. What I think it just it makes my list because a it's the Heat, and I love anytime the Hornets are able to beat the Heat. When it's a comeback win, it's even better. When they're the underdog, it's even better. And it comes on kind of a not a kind of I mean an historic night in NBA history. Number four, the Hornets drub the Houston Rockets after a twenty to nothing start in the first quarter. Okay, fine, Walker. They didn't have the, their full <laughs> tilt. Okay, they didn't have Russell Westbrook. Okay, full but they had tilt. James Harden. And I don't know if you know this, Walker, but James Harden, pretty good offensive player, can carry a yeah. team all on his own. But not that night. The Hornets beat the Rockets down one hundred eight to ninety nine, <laughs> which is also which I love that they they were full tilt and they drubbed them by nine points. Well, I mean, drubbed him in the first quarter and then held on right. because, yeah, yeah because, uh, because James Harden picked it up from three and almost came back. But the Hornet said, no, you're not going to do that. We're going to drub you. Number three. Number three, Doug. PJ and Devontae start game one of the regular season. Uh, this, to me, was competing for the number one selection because the fact that you draft someone in PJ Washington and he starts game one in a season where you have a lot of veterans, see if it had come in a season where they were completely in rebuilding mode, like, hey, say, next season when some of these veterans are now off the roster, then it, it doesn't have the same impact. But when they, they competed for these starting positions, Devontae, there's already a point guard there. I mean, they already had Terry Rozier, but Devontae and PJ demanded that starting role by their play in the offseason and then in the preseason. So starting game one, number three for me. Um. Man, I don't want to be the guy that just calls you out after all of these choices here, Doug, but uh, Devontae Graham did not start game one of the season for the Hornets. Now, they got them going if you wanted to say that, uh, but Devontae Graham would later be a starting player later on just so we could get some clarification from you. Uh, yeah, start, yeah, PJ started game one. Uh, Devontae, he started game one in my heart. Mm-hmm. That yeah, counts. no, he did, for sure. 
All right, I'll make you know what I'll make that edit. Okay, Devontae he was the sixth man. Look, he was started the sixth game man. one in my but he heart, game, but he had a really good game. They started the season right. They got the season off to a good start. If you wanted to edit just a couple of words around, PJ started game one and Devontae started game one in my heart. Number three on my list. <laughs> What's number two, Doug? Number two, Devontae Graham scored forty points in Brooklyn in a comeback victory. That's true. I have nothing there. I think you're good. I like that one. Of course you have nothing. I've been correct the whole time. Number one, Mm -hmm. OT win versus the Pacers. A big part of that, Devontae Graham. You love the Pacers victory. You love the Pacers victory. I think and it, was, it might not even make the top five for me. Well, I mean, that's that's a shame. I mean, I think it was a breakout game for Devontae Graham. I think it featured uh, some savvy play by the Charlotte Hornets in crunch time. It would be a, a, uh, a prophecy of how well they would play in crunch time. And uh, I think it was a great coaching job by James Borrego as well. And a tough it game. Did. I mean, TJ Warren did not want the Hornets to win that game, but they did anyway. No, he did not. And it did lead to a great soundbite on the podcast. Nate McVillain certainly has to be noted. Uh, number five for me, Doug. Number five for me, it's going to be the Dallas, uh, the Dallas Mavericks win on the road in overtime, 123 to 120. Good backcourt game uh, from Terry Rogier. He had 29 points. Devontae had 27. PJ had 19. So that was also a nice little kicker at the end. A couple of buckets from PJ and Terry inside a minute to send it to overtime. So they had to hit a couple of buckets to actually tie it. And then at the end, five free throws to to win that game. So pretty cool moment. And I think one that we talked about possibly being the best win of James Borrego's not only season, but career. So that makes it in the top five for me. The fourth best moment of the season on my list. It's the Miami comeback win 109 to 98 on the night. The league was suspended. Number five on my list. Number four on your list. Yeah. Devonte Graham gave us his last wow game after a drought in that category. He had 30 points. He had eight three pointers. And I believe it took him a while uh, to get going in this game as well. They fell to 40 to 22, Doug, at the end of the first quarter, just getting destroyed. Thought it was going to be crazy ugly. Then they held the Miami Heat to 11 in the second quarter. Well, the Hornets scored 37, Heat unable to come back in the second half. The only reason I don't have it higher, because this was a crazy game. The only reason I don't have it as a better moment, I think context matters. I think it almost defines this moment in the fact that nobody cares because the NBA is suspended. They're playing a game amid suspension. And I think that takes away from it. Also, another interesting note, Terry Rozier did not play in this game. Remember, he had, I think, flu-like symptoms. He was kind of sick. And I think maybe we were a little scared about, oh, man, is this the bad disease? Is this coronavirus? And it was turned out that was never reported at all. But I just know we kind of had a little bit of a scare, at least I did, heading into this game against the Miami Heat. The third best moment of the season for me. I love the fanfare. Keep it coming, uh, especially for this one, Doug. Of course, I got to get I think it deserves Malik. fanfare that, that, that Terry Rozier didn't have coronavirus. That's why I played. Yeah, that is. Yes. Uh, let's, I think that is fanfare. Just play it for everybody that doesn't have it. Uh, how about Malik Monk's 26-foot buzzer beater to beat the Detroit Pistons, 109 to 106? So this had a crazy ending. Like it wasn't the best game played, but the Pistons are up by three because of a Galloway three-pointer. Devontae Jacks, a a a 30-footer, I can't even talk, 30-footer. He misses, but Cody Martin grabs the rebound to save it. Then Marvin hits a three to tie the ball game. Derrick Rose and the Pistons go down the other end of the court 
Rose turns it over with one second left. So completely just loses the game for them, or at least gave them a shot to lose it. And then the Hornets inbound the ball. Malik lets it fly from 26 feet. Game winner, ruling upheld, and they continue to dominate the Pistons in every single way the last few seasons. I just thought it was a crazy stretch. It was a fun game that the Hornets had to come back from in the last minute of that contest. How do you do after that? Fantastic. Number two. Devontae Graham's 40-point night against the Nets I have as the second best moment of the season. I don't have it as the first. Oh, well, we agree there. Yep. Devontae pretty much has to carry the team. Uh, no one really else steps up offensively. Like Terry Rozier and uh, maybe even Miles Bridges, they finished with double-digit points, but bad shooting nights for them. So it was really Devontae that had to carry the entire Hornets team. So the Nets, this is also a fun finish to this game. They had a ton of them this year. Nets tied up after a couple of baskets. That's 106 apiece. Devontae comes down. He hits a long two to set them up 108 to 106. The next possession, the clock is winding down, and Devontae Graham hits a 30-footer to put them up, uh, I think, five points with 22 seconds left off the clock. Miles Bridges hits a couple of free throws to eventually put it away after some fouling. So Devontae Graham, really the the guy that carried him the whole way. And then especially at the end, hitting a couple of buckets, really cool Devonte Graham game. And it's what got us talking about him possibly being an all-star matters quite a bit. Devonte Graham, 40 point night, second place overall. Number one, number one, best moment of the 2019, 2020, uh, 2020 season. According to Walker mail, it's the Hornets season debut win against Chicago. 126, 125 all the way back. Number one for me, PJ Washington scores 27 points, seven of 11 from three gives us hope immediately that our first round draft pick does not suck. And how about Devonte Graham who comes off of the bench seven of nine, six made three pointers out of seven attempts. So we are introduced to Devonte Graham as a stud. And how about Marvin Williams? Starter he goes in my heart. Marvin Williams goes five of seven from three with 17 points. They were on fire. So seven of 11, seven of nine, five of seven. They just couldn't miss. This was a fun game. We got to see our rookie really impressive. We got to see the second round pick from the year prior be really impressive. And this was also a, uh, a season that starts off with a win in a way that a lot of people thought this would be maybe the number, uh, number one worst team in all of the NBA. So I think this is the best moment in 2019-2020. So those were the top five moments of the 2019-2020 season so far. If you want to hear some other moments from around the league, check out some of the other local podcasts here on the Locked On Podcast Network and let us know what your moment is. You can tweet us at Locked On Hornets. What did we leave out of this list? Let us know. Uh, coming up, we've got the best of rejecting the screen. Uh, we featured a lot of their audio on this podcast because they do amazing interviews with NBA uh, stars and some NBA names that you may not have thought about in a while, like Adam Morrison and uh, Brennan Haywood. They had a great Brennan Haywood interview where he gave a lot of uh, Michael Jordan anecdotes uh, from uh, his time with the Wizards, the actual last dance for Michael Jordan. Uh, so we've got a, a selection of the best of rejecting the screen coming up in just a second. But first, Got to tell you about Postmates. Uh, they're a great sponsor of the podcast, and they're really useful in times like these. If you're like me, uh, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. 
I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant that I can think of right to my door. But the cool part about Postmates is that they don't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier by delivering groceries or whatever I can think of. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. If it's open, they're delivering from it. So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. You don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNBA, all one word, that's code locked on NBA in the Postmates app for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download that Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. This is Locked On Hornets. And would, you, would, would I have liked to see a few more shards? Sh- shards? No, I would not have. <laughs> That's not a it's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Hey, it's Noah Kozlov from Rejecting the Screen on the Locked on Podcast Network. Adam Stanko and I get together twice a week to talk hoops with folks who have touched the NBA on all sorts of levels, from all-stars, coaches, executives, and media members. Recently, the number three pick in the 2006 NBA draft, Adam Morrison, joined us to tell a story about how Kobe Bryant, his former Lakers teammate with whom he won two rings, went above and beyond to lift his spirits. It was a year after I was out, and so I wasn't playing, obviously, and I was really depressed, and I was basically a hermit in my own house, and I was, didn't go out in the community at all. And then, you know, if you did, it was one of people asking you, why aren't you playing? And I was, you know, I'm 26 at the time or whatever I was, and, you know, number three pick, and just really low point in my life. And I get a text from Robert Laura, the the Lakers security and was Kobe's like one of his best friends and he said hey what's your address uh I got something in the mail for you and I get the package and it's um an autographed jersey from Didier Drogba um who is my favorite player I'm a Chelsea fan you know it's from Kobe and game worn jersey you know signed Didier Drogba to Adam best wishes and I always thought Kobe you know, made a phone call, which is, would be fine. It's still cool as shit. It's unbelievable. The night he passed, I'm scrolling through, reading everything, and I'm emotional. And on Chelsea's, you know, Instagram page, it's him with Didier Drogba holding up a jersey, and it says, to Adam, best wishes. So he went up to my favorite player, wow. got it signed for me without me even asking, and sent it to me when he knew I was, was low. That's that's what Kobe Bryant was, man. He was just one of those dudes who understood his own aura. When four-time All-Star Sean Marion hung out with us, not only did he tell us that he tried to recruit Kobe Bryant to the Suns the summer that the Suns ended up signing Steve Nash and Quentin Richardson, he also told us that his 2006 Suns team should have won the title. In the 2011 preseason, his Mavericks teammate Jason Terry was so confident they'd win it all, he got a tattoo of the trophy. We was at Deshaun Stevenson house. We had a game in Orlando and um, we went to his house and you know, a few through the team and uh, we was over having bar eating and stuff. And then this tattoo guy came over there and Jet guy tattooed a tra- trophy on his, on his bicep. I was like, damn, dude. I was like, for real? I was like, okay, okay. I'm loving it. I'm loving the, the, the confidence and the swag we have right now. So like, let alone, don't nobody else, know, don't nobody else in the world know we do, we doing this and we feeling this right now. Because everybody 
everybody in the league has aspirations. A lot of teams have aspirations to win championships, but it ain't but maybe a handful that actually actually can do it. You know what I'm saying? So we was one of those teams, and like we sitting there going through this process and looking at this, and uh, yeah, we was like, yeah. Did he tell you? Hey, I'm going to get a tattoo of the trophy. Did you know as it was happening? Or once he got it, he showed you, hey, he's got a tattoo of the trophy. Well, it was called, it was all kind of one sequence. We barely, he's like, we won the championship this year. I'm about to get a trophy right now. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> we were like, okay. That's what's up. <laughs> I mean, you don't get no better than that. Come on now. You don't get no better yeah, than that. Yeah, it does it. You don't get no better than that. Kevin Willis never did win a ring, but he was an all-star and was one of the most dominant rebounders of his era. He spent year 16 of his career with the Toronto Raptors when Tracy McGrady was in year two and Vince Carter was a rookie. As expected, he had some pretty good advice for those kids. They used to call me OG, old head, things like that. <laughs> and I was, I think I was in my 15th year or somewhere up in there. And it was like, yeah, man. I used to tell him and T Mac. I say, T Mac, first of all, you need to you need to stop falling asleep on the bench and practice. You need to, you got to stay awake. You, you you keep falling asleep. But I used to tell him and Vince, you guys rather hope that you get the 15 years because you you little snot nosed rookies. But you know they they were they were great great rookies. Great talent. Speaking of vets and rookies, when Suns legend Eddie Johnson got traded to Seattle, Gary Payton was a rookie point guard. And since everyone loves a good one about GP running his mouth, Eddie delivered. And I remember one day at practice, I was there for about two weeks. And I remember he kept disrupting practice. And Gary's a smart guy. He had, he had a right to talk in that regard because I got to know him. He really knows the game, obviously. The Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest defenders ever. Now, but at the time, he was a rookie. And rookies were not supposed to talk under my watch. Right. So that's, that's what it was for me. And I just couldn't get over the fact that this rookie kept talking. You know, and I let it go for two weeks. And I asked Nate McMillan, I said, is it a point in time, man, when you all, like, going to say something to him? And Nate was like, man, you know... <laughs> You know, Nate kind of shook it off. And I said, well, I'm going to say something. And lo and behold, one practice, he's got the yapping and, you know, coaches going over stuff and he yapping, he yapping. And I just finally said, would you shut the F up? About 15 years later in Seattle, P.J. Carlesimo was coaching the Sonics with rookie Kevin Durant. When P.J. came on the show, he revealed how ahead of the curve his staff was when KD was on the floor. One good thing we really did with him was we exposed him to a lot of things in terms of we played him at two, we played him at three, we played him at four, we put him in pick and rolls, we encouraged him to shoot threes. It's his only bad three-point percentage. If you look at his percentage year by year uh, in the NBA, it's far and away the lowest one. But again, uh, in those days, it was even a bigger jump from college three to NBA three. And Kevin didn't shoot a lot of threes uh, at Texas. And we, we had him do that. And at times we were criticized, like, why are they playing this guy at guard? Why, like, why are they putting him in pick and rolls? You know, why are they letting him dribble the ball up the court? Because he could. Staying with coaches, Brendan Haywood won a title with the Mavs in 2011. And when he joined LeBron in the Cavs under David Blatt, it was obvious when a head coaching change was needed. We could see late in ball games if he had to draw plays. We could see he was super nervous. His hands would be shaking. He'd have to give the clipboard to Larry Drew. Larry Drew would draw the plays up. 
And when you see that, you understand. Like, this dude ain't ready. He's not ready for this. He's not ready for this. And it's not his fault because he he thought he was taking on a rebuilding project. And then next thing you know, LeBron James calls up David Blatt and says, I'm coming. And now instead of taking on a rebuilding project with Kyrie and Deion Waiters at the forefront of it and Tristan Thompson, you have LeBron James and Kevin Love there. And now you're competing for a title. Uh, I just don't I, – I think just – Coach Black got hit with too much too soon, but it was easy to tell right away that Coach Black was probably in over his head. Just like a head coach can lose a team, a woman can tear one apart as well. Butch Beard was an assistant with the Mavericks in the mid-90s as Grammy Award-winning R&B singer Tony Braxton came in between stars Jason Kidd and Jimmy Jackson. I mean, it was it, it ended up being Jason and Jimmy, all right? Jason, Tony. Tony's not caring about either one of them. And then the team was taking sides. So I'll never forget, we had, we, we, we had a damn team meeting. And I said, guys, it's a woman that's breaking us apart. And if, if the woman is that good, please, I want to see what our mother looks like. Because I want to <laughs> date a mother. Come on. Entertainment and the NBA will always be intertwined. The first to do that on the media side was the New York Post's Peter Vesey, who was also the sideline reporter for the national broadcasts on NBC. We asked Peter about his post-game interview with Carl Malone after the Jazz lost in the finals to the Bulls in 1997. The YouTube clip is titled, Peter Vesey Tries to Get Punched. Carl was always a great interview. He would never not answer a question you know we really didn't get along i i disliked him on many levels respected him on many other levels as a player but you know he was a dirty player and the first time that they showed it to me i didn't even remember it okay so i did this interview i had no agenda i was just going to ask him some tough questions and um i didn't care how tough because i really didn't like him so, but I knew he was going to answer them. So, so I, I wasn't, I didn't feel unsafe and I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. And it really never, it never dawned on me that that came off the way it did. You know, my son would say to me, I said, wow, like, what, were you, what were you thinking? I said, I was just doing my job. But I, I, uh, I had no mindset going in other than I knew he was going to answer my question. In 1997, former head coach Hubie Brown was broadcasting for TNT but five years later, was hired by Jerry West mid-season to coach the Memphis Grizzlies. Point guard Earl Watson was in his second year with the team and was thoroughly confused when it all went down. Jerry West introduced UV. I'm 22 years old. We're in Memphis, losing franchise. First time in my life I've ever been a part of anything that was losing. So it's all new to me. Just everything was like new to me. I never, I, it made me, it almost made me sick. He introduces Hubie Brown, and I'm thinking, I got to call Bob because we just hired the TNT guy. This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know his full resume, right? <laughs> so the first thing he says to us, he takes the podium and he says, first, I would like to say, you all are fucking losers. <laughs> None of you are winners. If you was a winner, the other guy wouldn't be packing his stuff with his family, see? You got on fired. You're fucking losers. 
<laughs> I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. The Bob that Earl referred to was Bob Myers, his agent at the time and now the president of the Golden State Warriors. Stories like these are a taste of what rejecting the screen sounds like every week. So we hope you'll join us by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>